America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Veris Age Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Klass. And Ed, I am so excited today. We have America's Rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and I am just an enormous fan of this gentleman's work. I have been listening to his radio show for a long time, uh, read all of his works, um, even listened to a lot of your audio broadcasts, uh, Rabbi, that you've made available, which are wonderful. So welcome to the show, The Soul of Enterprise, and we can't thank you enough for joining us today. Oh, it's I who thanks you. This is a real honor for me. And uh, apart from, you know, there's, there's honors and there's honors. There's, there's honors where you just sort of solemnly feel honored to do something. And then there's honors where you're honored to do something, and it's fun. And that's what I'm looking forward to now. <laughs> well, this will be a this will be a fun conversation because, as you say on your show, you like to explain how the world really works, and and uh, I, I hope you can uh, share some of your insight. And folks, we only have 34 minutes with Rabbi Lappin today, um, so we're going to tr- try and jam pack uh, as much as we can in with the limited time, and then he's graciously agreed to come back at some point. So we're if really you, looking. If, if you still want me back after 34 minutes, you know, you might say you're well rid of me at that. Point. Rabbi, any any time you're always welcome on the show. Um, you, you've got a very interesting personal journey. I mean, you were you. Uh, I think on a couple of weeks uh, on your show, you called yourself an African American. Would you like to explain that? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Um, I I had a wonderful um, a few days with an African American church in uh, Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, recently, and uh, and they cracked up because their pastor and I are, are, are very very good friends, and uh, and I introduced you know I, I stood with them and I said the two of us represent the the African American Judeo Christian tradition here, and uh, and and then further explained it. Well, on on my show <coughs> a few years ago, a woman called and she said as she you know she she got on. Uh, on the air with me, and the first thing she said was, you're a liar. And I said, well, you know, madam, that's a slightly unconventional way to open a conversation. You know, what do you mean? And she said, well, um, you, uh, I've often heard you say you're black, and I saw you on television this week, and you're as white as I am. You're a liar. So I said, look, lady, I may not be George Washington, but uh, when I embellish the truth a little bit, it's usually not on something as flagrantly easy to catch me out on as the color of my skin. 
Right. And she said, well, all I know is you lied. And, I, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me. I said, okay, I now know what you... You never heard me say I have a black skin. <laughs> you never heard me say that. Uh, what you did hear me say was that I'm African-American, and in many ways I'm a very authentic African-American. I was born on the continent of Africa, and I'm now an American citizen. That makes me an African-American, surely, because I don't pay any attention to the color of the skin. I think it's purely materialistic. I pay no attention to people's age. I pay no attention to whether they've got hair or no hair. I pay no attention to the color of their eyes. It's irrelevant to me, but uh, in terms of being an African-American, I insist on that title, and I also hope to get preferential college acceptance for my children on that basis. <laughs> and and you went from you went from Johannesburg to London, and and you and you've even lived in Jerusalem. Is that right? Before you yes. made it to the states. Yes, very much so. But um, but America is what uh, is is what really triggered my imagination, and 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 really just captured my passion so much. You know, Rabbi, you said in your latest book, uh, the Business Secrets from the Bible, that you were good friends with Peter Drucker, and, and yeah. Peter Drucker has had an enormous influence on both Ed and myself. He's just he's one of my mentors, um, and he talked about why he immigrated to the to America, and he said Europe was about the past, America was about the future. Um, you know, look, um, uh, Peter was a wonderful guy, very wise guy, and uh, it was an almost surreal experience visiting with him in his little house in, in Claremont, California. Um, but I, I wouldn't agree with that part of it because, um, you know, to tell you the truth, today, if you fly into uh, Frankfurt Airport, to be honest, Frankfurt Airport makes JFK look like an antiquated, weary old Greyhound bus depot. Right. Um, so, you know, at the time, and when I, I mean, in the 60s and in the 70s, I think that was probably true. Uh, in the 70s and 80s, Europe was going down uh, very, very seriously. But, but let's be honest, I mean, the, the, last, uh, the last 10 or 15 years have not been treated America well, or America hasn't treated it well. And, uh, and to an unbiased observer coming from somewhere else, Right now, if, if that observer was plunked down in, uh, in Frankfurt and Berlin or, in, for that matter, in London's West End, um, I'm not going to say Paris, but I'll say uh, um, certainly uh, um, I can think of a couple of other cities in Europe or put down in Abu Dhabi and, and said which country is on the way up and is looking to the future and which are, are, are mired in tired old ideas of the past. I'm sorry to say the visitor would say in America we're, we're uh, anchored to tired old ideas, whereas in some of the other cities and countries I've mentioned, um, there's a passion and an excitement and a vitality and a looking forward to and, a, and an embrace of, of modern free market ideas. So, uh, so uh, you know, what Peter said, he said in the 70s, probably true back then, not so true today. I actually think it was in the 30s when he immigrated. Oh, out right. of well, true, certainly the, true then as well. Don't forget it was in the 30s that we were building skyscrapers like uh, the Empire State Building, the Golden Gate Bridge was being built in the 30s. So, yes, there was certainly a, a time to, uh, to, 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 to see America as, as reaching for the future with bravery and, uh, and, um, and, and, uh, and, and excitement, whereas the... the uh, well, whereas Europe was stuck in the past, but I'm not sure that's strictly applicable anymore. 
Right. And it certainly agree with your point about the culture of America has, is, is declined. I guess the only saving grace has been the, the free market where we, we still continue to innovate. And uh, I, I was very curious that you were in Jerusalem and, and you had some guests on talking about just how creative and innovative and entrepreneurial the Israel economy is. And, and that's just a, a, a bright light. Very, very much so, and, uh, and, and, you know, perhaps also worth looking at from the point of view that ordinarily uh, gross domestic product is a function of population within a, a cohesive region. So, uh, you know, Rhode Island has one-eighth the population of Georgia, so nobody's surprised to discover that uh, every year approximately uh, Georgia's gross domestic product is eight times that of Rhode Island. It's perfectly normal. It's what you'd expect. But this, uh, this thing breaks down in the Middle East, where uh, the contiguous countries, the four contiguous countries around Israel, Egypt, uh, Jordan, um, Syria, Lebanon, uh, they have a, a population of about 100 million people. Israel's got about 5 million. So it's about 20 times. So you'd expect the uh, aggregate GDP of the surrounding countries to be about 20 times that of Israel. Actually, it's lower than that of Israel. And, and mm. that's very interesting. It, it very much is. Rabbi, we want to kind of talk about your four books in the, in the limited time that we have. And, uh, but I'm going to ask you a question. We had Father Robert Sirico from the Acton Institute on a, a, a couple weeks ago. Are, are you familiar with uh, Robert Sirico? A dear, dear friend uh. for uh, probably more years than either of us remember. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So uh, we're big fans of his work as well. Sure. And I'm going to ask you the question that we asked him, which is, does God want us to be wealthy? Um, I'll answer that immediately, but uh, I'm dying to ask you if you could sort of give me the 20-second summary of what he said to that. <laughs> well, he reframed it, Rabbi. It was kind of unfair, but, but I, I understand, because it's an unfair question. He said, it's not so much wealthy, it, God wants us to prosper. Got it. Because okay. wealth affects different people yeah, differently. No, I, well, I, I know what he, I, I've, I've heard him. I've heard him on that. I, I'm answering quite differently then. Uh, does God want us to be rich? I'll turn the question. You know the Jewish system is to turn to answer a question with another question. You know that, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so, <laughs> very convenient. Uh, so I'll turn around and say, does God want us to have great sex? <laughs> How do you answer that, Ed? And the well, you, fortunately, I meant it rhetorically. I wasn't trying to put anyone on the spot. But <laughs> okay. The answer, I think, is that uh, unfortunately, God has not confided in me on that. But what He did want, and there's no question about this, what He does want is for uh, men and women to be bonded in a mono monogamous covenant of marriage. And it doesn't surprise me personally that a good and loving Creator uh, would reward his children who obey this request uh, with the greatest sensual pleasure known to humanity. And so, uh, I mean, everybody knows that uh, couples in committed and, and fantastic marriages have far better physical relationships than single people. So that doesn't surprise me at all. So the same question, does God want us to be rich? Again, to my dismay, um, the Lord has not confided in me in this, in this area. And, uh, but what I do know is that he does want each and every one of us to be obsessively preoccupied with filling one another's wants and needs. And it doesn't surprise me that a good and loving creator rewards those of us who take care of his other children 
with this incredible blessing of financial abundance. And so to put it, to put it very bluntly and in no way meant to be offensive, uh, who has done more good for more of God's children, Mother Teresa or Bill Gates? Correct. And the answer is very simple. I'm not saying who's more saintly. I don't know. I can't look into the hearts of human beings. Only God can. But in terms of who has served more people, this isn't a hard question. Mother Teresa in her, uh, in her uh, hospice in Calcutta has served, what, a 1,000 people? Now, more than that, 50,000? God, I'll give you 100,000. Tell you what, I'll give you 500,000 people, but it's not more than that. And Bill Gates has served a billion people. Right. Because those people bought Microsoft products. Now, they did that because purchasing those products brought them more benefit than the cost of the product cost them. If they didn't believe that, they wouldn't have done it. They could have bought Apple products or anyone else's products. But Bill Gates has unquestionably enhanced the lives of more people than most other humans on the planet. Right. We actually discussed that as well with Father Sirico, and I think you would agree um, I, I certainly believe that Bill Gates running Microsoft uh, did more for the world than he will with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Oh, no question about it, yes. <laughs> I know, yes. Uh, <laughs> Father Sirico and I would, would certainly have agreed on that as well. No question about it. But I, I often say that you know, if somebody's got a few hundred thousand dollars and he says to me, I want to give this to charity, I want to do good for people, my answer will be not give it to the United Way, but for heaven's sake, do what you've already been doing all your life. You know, you're a serial entrepreneur. Start another business and provide jobs for all kinds of people and provide uh, enhancements to life to all kinds of people. I have, I have a real challenge. I mean, you, you think how hard it is to give money away without doing more harm than good. Right, right. Well, uh, well, Rabbi, as you know, that the time clock marches on and we have to go to our first great, uh, break. Uh, folks, you can follow our show by visiting us at verisage.com slash TSOE. We, of course, post complete show notes up there and we will have all of Rabbi Lappin's books, including his website, which is youneedarabbi.com. And I would encourage you to go visit it. He's got lots of resources up there that are just wonderful audio CD programs and other things up there that are very interesting. And you can always contact Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. That's how you can email us. And please follow our show on Twitter at hashtag TSOE. And when we return from this break, we'll, uh, we'll talk to the rabbi more about his books. And in the meantime, let's hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. What makes great leaders? Results? A lasting legacy? Is it making a difference in your life or maybe the lives of others? I lead. 
The Leadership Connection with host Dr. Linda Sharkey will bring you the practical tips and tools to make you an extraordinary leader and by doing so, build a better, more successful, and more profitable organization. Our show is all about you, the leader that you can be, and the culture that you can create. Tune in to I Lead, The Leadership Connection, live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. Here We're here with America's Rabbi, Daniel Lappin, a, a huge fan of his work for just years and years and years. He's, he's definitely affected my view of the way the world works. And he's got four books that he's written. And your latest one, Rabbi, is Business Secrets from the Bible, Spiritual Success Strategies. And in here, I want to ask you about this specifically because one of the mantras that we always talk about is the only antidote to poverty is to create wealth. It's like, what what do we learn from studying poverty? What would we learn if we knew the root causes of poverty? Would we go and spread more poverty? No. What needs to be explained is not poverty. It's it's wealth. And and you say in this book that the opposite of wealth is evil. And I've never heard that before. Could you elaborate on that? Um, sure. You know, one of the things that uh, that I think is 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 a helpful exercise is um, to ask people. What causes poverty? What causes poverty? Think about it. Is it, um, first of all, you've got to ask what causes some nations to be poorer than other nations? You know, right. why is it, to be perfectly honest, why is it that if I tell you that 7,000 human beings have drowned in the Mediterranean in the last four years in leaky little boats trying to get from Africa to Italy or from Italy to Africa. Your job is to guess where those poor souls were trying to go when they drowned. Why is it that even if you haven't been reading the newspapers, you intuitively know that those leaky little boats were desperately trying to carry their refugee cargo from Africa to Italy? How come not from Italy to Africa? Mm. You know, why is it? Why is it that uh, Sweden and France and Germany are magnets for immigrants, both legal and illegal, from around the world. But as far as I know, when I last checked, Bangladesh does not have an illegal immigrant problem. Right. You know, so it's, it's really worth asking this. And, uh, and similarly, when it comes to individuals, you know, why is it that uh, some individuals in America seem to uh, produce adequate revenue, whereas others seem to subsist in poverty. Now, in all fairness, let's be, let's be honest about this. Poverty in America is, is relative. The rest of the world would change uh, places with the American poor in a heartbeat. 
the overwhelming majority of American poor have their own cars, own their own homes, have televisions, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, including air conditioning in the summer. So um, it's all relative, of course, but still we can, we can speak of the poor. Why is that? And if we cannot answer that question, then it is very difficult to persuasively guide people towards a life of uh, bounty and abundance. And, uh, and it, all, it sort of comes back to the question with which you opened the show, which was, you know, does God want us to be rich? No, he does want us to be serving his other children. And uh, don't be surprised that the more people that you serve, the more, the more uh, income you generate. And we, we do this all wrong, of course, because we tell uh, people about to graduate from school, you know, seek a career doing what you love. Okay, well, I don't know about you, Ron and Ed, but, you know, I love boating and fishing, and I've yet to find a way to make it my career. What do they mean, seek a career doing what you love? It just, it doesn't make sense. Um, the truth is that the correct advice to give to people graduating school is seek a way to serve as many of your fellow human beings as you possibly can, and then learn to love doing that and that's a totally different model so unfortunately we we do educate people to poverty which is horrible well as you said it's a relative poverty versus absolute and i think that's the question i want to follow up with on on you is what why do you think so many folks today are obsessed with this idea of of inequality and righting that wrong of inequality versus lifting everyone out of poverty or not everyone, the, the rest of the world out of poverty, which I get by serving others. But, but instead, we're focused on this, this other thing, this inequality piece, which, which has always made no sense to me. Why, why does somebody else's wealth concern me? Yeah, that, that's, that's quite right. And um, look, you know, there are, uh, there are attributes in the world like light and dark. And basically, you know, darkness is the absence of light. You can dispel darkness by turning on a light. Uh, heat and cold, um, they're, they're, they're mutually incompatible. If you heat a place, then you drive away the cold by introducing heat. Um, there are two things like that called freedom and equality. And they're opposite ends of the spectrum, just like light and darkness is and just like heat and cold is. Uh, equality and freedom are such that you have to kind of choose what you want. Just the same way you've got to choose whether you want to sit in a dark room or a light room or a warm room or a cold room, you've got to decide whether you want a culture of equality or a culture of freedom. And uh, the culture of equality, okay, where does it come from, you ask? Why is there this, this uh, attraction towards a culture of, of, uh, of equality? The reason is because something that has happened over the last 50 years in the United States of America, and it's happened to different countries in different epochs, but uh, the, the basic idea of religious faith has been banished from the village square. So we are now looking at the first generation in the history of the United States of America, literally the first time, this is where you and me, we're living right now and all our listeners are listening, are living at a time, the very first time in American history where people who consider themselves to be educated and sophisticated are 
utterly illiterate about the book that shaped Western civilization called the Bible. Now, what's this got to do with equality and freedom? Very simply this, that there are only two ways of understanding the origin of humanity on this planet. Uh, to put it uh, bluntly, the two ways are the good Lord created us in his image and put us here. And if you don't like that, then I've got another one for you, which is just as good. This one says that through a lengthy process of unaided materialistic evolution, primitive protoplasm became Bach and Beethoven. Now, you've got to choose. It's one of those. And if you have children, you've got to decide what you're going to teach them. Or you might decide to teach them nothing. You might say, well, there's no way of proving either of those. We don't know. Bottom line is that if you either say we don't know, therefore we're not going to choose one or the other, or you choose uh, primitive protoplasm, what that does mean, though, is that you and I are nothing but sophisticated animals. We're not qualitatively different creatures, unique creatures on the face of the planet touched by the finger of God. I mean, I'm sorry you sound religious about it, but I don't know another way of explaining this. And the problem is that if you establish that we are nothing but sophisticated animals, why, what is the responsible thing for any zookeeper to do if he walks in after he's fed the lions and he notices one lion has taken all the meat to his corner of the cage, leaving the others with nothing? A responsible zookeeper redistributes the wealth. You know, what does a farmer do if he notices some of his animals are, are getting fat because they're taking all the food and the others are, are staying thin? He redistributes the food. Because with animals, it's very easy to know what they need, which is why the whole Marxist formula of to each according to his need makes perfect sense if you think we're nothing but animals. But it's only if you see us as unique creatures like no other on the planet, then we recognize that no person can determine the needs of any other person. You don't know how badly I want to send my kids to private school. I don't know how badly you want to eat at a fancy restaurant. You may not know how deeply I desire a boat. I may not know how deeply you desire three homes, whatever it is. We don't know. And so as society becomes more sold on the idea that we are nothing qualitatively, we're nothing but sophisticated animals, the more drawn it is to the Marxist view of humanity, which is that essentially we can be taken care of by the big zookeeper or farmer in the beltway who will decide everything for us. And if he's going to be deciding everything for us, well, obviously, equality is the only way to go, surely. The fact that it abolishes freedom is not something everybody understands, because if you want equal outcome for everybody, you have to suppress freedom. If you want to allow freedom, you have to accept differing outcomes. It's interesting. In order to, to pre prepare for this uh, interview with you, I, I actually went back to one of the four notebooks that I kept from a, from four college classes back in the mid-80s, <laughs> one of them being the title of this course, which is Great Ideas in Western Civilization, and it dealt with Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And the professor had this propensity to, when he would, would, would say one of these ideas, to say, and this truly is a great idea. And one of them was, I, I will always remember, he said, in the beginning, God. And that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But, and this truly is a great idea. And then he went on to say, yeah. He went countries created by Christianity, namely Western civilization, have prospered. Although I must say, I, I'm not sure I understand what Muslim, Islam has to do with Western civilization. It's essentially been at war with the West for all its existence. 
you know, I have to. It may it might have been great ideas in West in in, uh, in religious thought, but anyway, oh, I, I have to. Okay. Um, but one one of the things, and we we only have a few more minutes with you, and want to get this question out, and then then give you a chance to to talk about um, what you're doing in the future. But um, he says the Bible is really was more important, more concerned with uh, with. with why it happened as opposed to what actually happened. In other words, it wasn't a history book so much as it was a way of explaining the, the primary cause, which was, of course, God. And uh, that's always been my interpretation as a, a Catholic. And, and just so you know, Father Sirico told me that I need to go to confession more. So, you know, <laughs> you know where, where he's, co- he, he's coming from that. Uh, but but I but I that that's always been my view, and it's really helped me in my life to say, okay, this is this is this is explanatory, not prescriptive. Yes. Does that make sense? And I think I, that I think that's the so. thing that we're yeah, learning. I, I think it does. But uh, I think you know the important thing is to, from my point of view at least, is to recognize that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, um, are very preoccupied with money. Money plays an enormous role. In it, and and that's what's so significant, and that's what's so important. Rabbi, I love your uh, zookeeper analogy, and I also love the way you talk about animals are always the same, but we humans can change. And so this whole inequality issue, it, it, it depends on if you're looking at a snapshot or a video. And I know you teach where where videos, right. the truth is revealed by videos, not snapshots. Right. Uh, my favorite German proverb, by the way, I love this saying, is if you want equality, visit a cemetery. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yep, very true. Very true indeed. So, Rabbi, your your other book, uh, Thou Shall Prosper, Ten Commandments for Making Money, which was published in 2002, is just, yes. just a wonderful book. And, and uh, one of our listeners in Germany, a gentleman by the name of Marcus in Nuremberg, Germany, said, let Rabbi Lappin know that I read his book, Thou Shall Prosper, already twice, and it helped me a lot. And the three laws, that, or the commandments, the three commandments that he loved were never retire. And that really changed, you changed his mind on that. Know your money is another one of your commandments, and, yeah. then, uh, and then give 10% to other people. Right. And you, right. you actually make the case in your, I think it's your first book, or at least the first book I read of yours, that America is wealthy because of its culture of charity. We're, we're not charitable because we're wealthy. We became wealthy because we're charitable. Yes, that's right. Is, and, and, and that's the cause and effect as you see it. Uh, very much so, yes. And, you know, we all, we all make money. I mean, let's face it. We make money when we interact with other human beings. You, you, you can't make money locked up in a cave. You can only make money interacting with other human beings. We interact with people we know, people we like, people we trust. And generally, we prefer charitable people to venal people. And so what happens is when you become a charitable person, and I'm not talking about the doing good part. Now, I'm speaking as an economist, not as a rabbi. Uh, you know that it's doing good and makes God happy, well and good. We'll talk about that on Sunday. But right now, what we're talking about is the fact that when you give charity, uh, you find yourself in the company of other charitable people. And much more business is done at church or at Rotary Club meetings, or at any place where people gather to do good for everyone else. That's where business results. And so just practically speaking, being charitable not only puts you in the company of people who are like-minded and with whom you're likely to interact in a business-like way, 
but it also, even more than that, exercises the giving muscle. Uh, it lets you put out, you know, business always means you have to take the initiative. You have to buy inventory, you have to pay for advertising, whatever it is, you've got to put out. And charity, giving charity exercises that muscle, making it possible for you to do that more easily than if you've never had that experience. Right, and it also makes you think that you're a giver rather than being a taker. Exactly. And I think exactly. that psychology is really interesting. Well, Rob, I know we got to let you go, and I just want to uh, give you a chance to, uh, to talk about where, where you'll be and where people can find you. Oh, sure. Thank you very much indeed. And again, thanks for letting I mean, I, I really would have loved to be here for the whole show, but where I'm located right now, the sun is going down and the Jewish Sabbath is about to begin, so I have to be off the air and, uh, and on my way to synagogue. So, um, totally understand. Uh, well, uh, Sunday morning, um, 10 a.m. Eastern Time, I'll be broadcasting on W4CY.com, W4CY.com. Excellent. And, and, um, and, uh, and as you said, my website is youneedarabbi.com. And, um, and I thank you very much. Sorry I was mistaken about us having done this before, but I sure hope we do it again. I hope so, too, Rob. I'm thrilled to have you back. So thank you very much, and, and we'll let you go. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ed. Have a wonderful weekend. You, too. Peace. Bye. Well, that was Rabbi Lappin, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll take a break, and we'll uh, hear from our sponsor, Azamba. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Workplaces are only as strong as their teams. Teams are only as strong as their individual members. Are you seeking a better way to take your business to a higher level? We're here to help. Listen for Leading with Social-Emotional Intelligence, Building Trust Through Intentionality and Vulnerability with host Glenn Harris. Together, we'll explore the five key behaviors of a cohesive team and other concepts designed to keep your team working smarter. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. 
And, of course, you can use the hashtag for the show, which is pound TSOE. And we've had a couple of tweets so far during the show, thanks to our friend Don, who is a wonderful, faithful listener out there. I really appreciate the, the tweets during the show, Don. It keeps, it keeps us going. Well, Ron, so we have a, a little bit of time alone here to finish up this show. And I, I think that what we should look to do is have him back and also have Father Sirico on at the same time. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrific? <laughs> and then you and I could basically take the week off because... Yes, we, yes, we could. Because <laughs> there's a lot of similarities in these two gentlemen because I, I'm kind of a student of both of them. Um, but even Sirico, I think, said that, you know, the, the, the Jewish faith, you know, they want you to go out and make money because they view it as serving... Uh, other uh, other of God's children, and and it's just a really interesting uh, worldview. And we think, obviously, right on. I mean, this is this is what the soul of enterprise is all about, which is why he's he's such a great guest. But but I think there's enough differences, Ron. I think that they that 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 we could we could get them going on a couple of topics that not not related to religion in any way, because obviously there's differences there. But sure. That just from an uh, from an economic perspective, that that might lead to some interesting conversations. I, I think it really would. I mean, the next time he comes on, Ed, I want to ask him the, the the question we asked Father, which was, you know, this difference between freedom and truth. I value the truth more than I value my freedom. I want to depose that to the rabbi, and and we will do that next time we have him on. Absolutely, and I, I I was thinking the same thing as he was he was uh, talking about that with the show, and you know I got into some really hot water with that that comment, Ron. I, I, I know uh, you did. I did. I I posted it on on Twitter um, and uh, Facebook in a couple places, and boy, you uh, that people were very upset with me that 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 I would post that I value the truth more than more than my freedom, and what I was so surprised about, and perhaps I shouldn't have been, is that. I got ensnared by both sides. There were people calling me a religious zealot for posting that. Yep. And then there were people saying that I was like a communist or something. That, yeah, that, that, you're because, progressive. <laughs> progressive. So, so it, it, the, the point is there must be a lot of truth to it because it really hit home with a lot of people. Really right. hit home. And now that I think if you want to stir up another hornet's nest, you can post the, 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 the idea that, uh, that uh, the opposite of wealth is evil. And now he, I, I did want to draw a distinction. He's not talking that the poor are evil. No, He's no, no, no. Yeah. Poverty is evil. And he, he actually writes, never associate poverty with virtue. It's one mm-hmm. of the themes in his book. And I just find that such an interesting frame that the opposite of wealth is evil. Well, and that's really what led Christopher Hitchens to deplore Mother Teresa, right? Because he thought that she was a friend of poverty, not so much a friend of the poor. And, and the funny thing is about Hitchens, uh, he was a Trotskyite and, you know, kind of a socialist in his day. He he never understood how wealth was created. So he never renounced that part of his worldview, which which I don't think gives him a lot of credibility to, to take digs at Mother Teresa but I, I, I do understand the logic of, of, of the, drawing the distinction between poverty and the poor. Right. But, you know, the other thing, and um, if, uh, Rabbi's first book, at least the first book I read, was a book called Buried Treasure, Secrets for Living from the Lord's Language, which was published in 2001. And in there, he talks about how parents love their children more. 
um, because they tend to give and sacrifice more for their kids. I mean, you know, most children will say, oh, yeah, my parents are screwed up and, you know, they screwed me up. And this is why, you know, when you're a kid, right, you always like uh, your friend's parents more than yours and want to hang out at their house and all of that. But it's obvious because parents do so much for their children that they just have this almost unconditional love for them. And he says, because you're giving so much, you love more. And that's kind of how he builds his case empirically to prove that America is wealthy because of our culture of giving. We're not giving because we're wealthy. It's the giving that created the wealth, and he equates that to parents and their children. And I would definitely ask him about that because I think there does have to be a certain amount of wealth that's generated before one can be giving with it, right? There's got to be some minimum subsistence. But at the same time, I mean, I think that that completely ties into a parable that's taught in the New Testament, and I would have been curious as to, to his thoughts on that, and that is the, the parable of the, 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 the widow who gives her last shekel and and uh, they, Jesus points out that this 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 woman gave more than any anyone else because as a percentage she gave everything she gave all all she had and and if and I guess if that's what she's talking about then great but uh, shouldn't she have invested that I guess in somebody else or, or created wealth with it I mean I know that's that, well that's it's, the it's, question I think there's a minimum wealth creation that has to happen before we can start to be charitable. Right. I mean, one of the things he always likes to talk about are some of the distinctions between, you know, man and animal. And and he always says, you know, a cow, a kangaroo, a cat, they don't change, but humans are very capable of changing. And one of the other things that distinguishes us is the idea that we all produce more than we need to live. And so even if you're at a very poor level, even absolute poverty, I think he would say that you you should still give at least 10% and tithe to at least 10% because it would it, it, it would just in, uh you know uh expand your your scope of influence and and he thinks it comes back to you it's kind of like the supply side economics mandate of give and you will be given unto right right and and like the i think it's the the Billy Ray Parker song if 10% is good enough for Jesus it ought to be enough for Uncle Sam Right, <laughs> and then just one more thing. Another thing that separates man from animals: we do put ice in our drinks. So I've always thought that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the other thing I know we have to take a break here in a in a minute and a half because we we ran over because we just wanted to get every minute with Rabbi that we could. Um, but his book, "Thou Shall Prosper: Ten Commandments for Making Money," and this book came out in two thousand. And two, I believe, and I I read this book, and and this had this book had a major impact on me. I I would put this in the books uh, in the pantheon of making the moral case for free enterprise, like we try and do on this show. Not just the economic case, not just the fact that it works and it's the antidote to poverty, but it's the moral case. And and I put this book right up with George Gilder's Wealth and Poverty. And Michael Novak's business as a calling, and Father Sirico's book, right, defending free markets, and and Jay Richards and and others. Uh, and I just found this book to be absolutely fascinating. 
Yeah, it's a great book, and I, I read it as well. So why don't we do this, Ron? Well, let, let's go and we'll take our, our final break, and then let's talk a little bit for the balance of our time about Thou Shalt Prosper. I think that would be make for some an interesting conversation, even without, without the rabbi here. Right, okay. Yep, so, in, in tribute to him. <laughs> yes, in tribute to him, for for sure. So we're going to take our break, and we're. but before you do, please uh, feel free to email us at tsoe at verisage.com. Also, verisage.com slash TSOE for show notes and previews, and as well as the hashtag pound TSOE for live tweeting of the show. So let's uh, get this word, last word in from Sage Software. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers. Your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Earlier on the show, we had Rabbi Daniel Lappin with us, and one of his books, I think his probably best-selling book, if I recall correctly, is Thou Shall Prosper, Ten Commandments for Making Money, published in 2002. And this is the, the, the one book that Ron and I have in common. I have not read all of the rabbi's books, but I have read Thou Shall Prosper. And the, the Ten Commandments for Making Money are obviously different than the Ten Commandments. And Ron, what was your favorite commandment that that Lappin put forward? <laughs> you're not going to let me say all of them. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm going to hold no, you to one. Yeah. You're going to hold me to one. Well, I, I would have to say, Ed, the one that changed my mind, or at least made me doubt, much like uh, Steve Jeske and, and Howard Hansen's book, Healing Leadership, is his fifth commandment, which is lead consistently and constantly. And in this commandment, he talks about leadership is not a noun. It's a verb. It's not an identity. It's an action. And one of the fascinating things about uh, him being a rabbinical scholar is he always talks about the Hebrew language. And if there's no word in Hebrew for it, it's not needed. Well, there's no Hebrew word for leader. 
There's one for king, there's one for ruler, one for director, but no word for leader because leadership, if you think about it, is kind of situational, right? Some of the greatest leaders uh, happened in, in uh, stressful circumstances. Think of presidents in wartime, FDR, you know, George Bush after 2000, uh, the 2001 attacks. Um, and, and Rabbi's claim is that it's those circumstances of the moment that have created more leaders than all the leadership training pro- programs combined. So he really kind of downplays the role of leadership. Well, as, as do we, in a sense, that, that it, leadership isn't something that's imposed. It's something that, that one does. So we agree with the whole concept that it is a verb, not a noun. And I would say that, that Howard and Steve would, would agree with that as well. I mean, their, their concept is, is, is one of being, right, of being right. a non-anxious presence for people. And that's, that's certainly a verb, right? That, that, right. Is, that is difficult to do. Right. He says, you know, we know how to produce top-rate doctors or airline pilots or whatever, but we don't seem to agree on how to produce top-rate leaders. And that's why I think Howard and Steve have come to the conclusion all these leadership books and programs, they're just all for naught because it's just crazy. Lappin points out in this commandment that, you know, there's no need to analyze what a leader is. They have followers, and and how do you get a followers? How do you get followers? He says you have to acquire these character traits. You have to learn to follow if you want to lead. You have to maintain a clear vision of your goal. You have uh, confrontation is often necessary. I even think Howard talked about didn't he? Isn't the joke get a good couch? Well, yes, and and well, expect <laughs> sabotage. Ex- right. Expect sabotage. Right, and and leadership requires mastery of both faith faith and facts and. He also points out that he thinks that the military is is the uh, the finest system for leadership education because there's leadership all the way up the chain, all the way up to you know the commander in chief, who at least Rabbi Lappin wants him also to have a leader. Uh, <laughs> you know, right. you want the commander in chief to be answering to somebody, not himself. Yes, and that, that that's an that's an interesting point. Although although. You know, I'd be, be curious as to what Howard and Steve would think about this—the idea of leadership as as in the military as as being the the best example. Although I will say this: that that because of the stressful situations that obviously the military are regularly in, they get more of an opportunity to to potentially practice those those characteristics than anyone else. Right, and you know the great saying in the military Ed, is is the, the the soldier's entitled or has a right. To competent command, mm. and and you know that's why I think they take that burden of leadership so seriously, right? And but wouldn't it be best if we had leaders that would not get us into military conflicts in the first place? But there's my libertarianism coming out. Well, so. well but that's the <laughs> civilian's job, isn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> that's not so much the military. That's the that's the civilians because uh, they're actually running the military, or they're supposed to be. Well, let me ask you: What was your favorite of his Ten Commandments? All of them? No, I can't say that. <laughs> I won't let you say that. <laughs> you know, but I know what you mean. No, it's tough because they're yeah, all good. It is. It is. I, so it's interesting. You went with number five. I'll have to go with number ten, which is never retire. And I know you mentioned that earlier with him, and not. Not so much because it gave me a new insight, but what it gave me was a, a very short phrase to put around something that I've always felt, which is, why would I want to retire? Well, 
I, I, I mean, I retire from what? having great conversations with you and, and interacting with people. And you know, I, I, I have, and I've told now uh, three CEOs at, at Sage North America, and uh, perhaps I'll get a chance to tell our new CEO worldwide this when I get, get a chance to meet him at some point, that I have the best job at Sage because I, I feel that my job is to just help pe- people make their businesses better. And I do this for our partner organizations. I do this for our customer organizations, hopefully, and I do it for Sage. Why would I want to retire from that? It's a great gig. It's like Norm getting the beer tasting job. Right. <laughs> and Although that didn't work out well for Norm in the end. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he kind of but, blew that. <laughs> that was a great show. Um, but, but the other thing, since you know the subtitle of the show is Business in the Knowledge Economy, it, it, it's so much easier now to practice this because we're not so much working with our muscles and wearing out our physical bodies. Our minds are active, and you can easily work into your... 70s and maybe even beyond. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you this, Bristol, an observation of really the only person I really completely saw retire in the classical way, which was my grandfather. He he worked way harder for my grandmother <laughs> after he right. retired but, than he to, ever to, worked. The, yeah, the to-do list at home. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah. probably kept him going. <laughs> oh, she did. She did. She kept him going, but good. Well, you know, it's funny. My dad, quote unquote, retired when he when he moved to uh, South Carolina, and but 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 he 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 hasn't. I mean, he set up a you know he was a barber and he set up a barber shop in the garage and he's cutting all the neighborhood the neighborhood kids and and other people in the neighborhood and he could have he could easily work uh, you know two or three days a week. He golfs every day. I mean, he just loves to stay active and and meet and be with people. Uh, so there really is never a reason to retire. I, I, I definitely agree with this commandment. And, and the rabbi's very adamant about it. Yes, and I, I wanted to dig down with him on this, his whole idea of, you know, you have to find something that creates the most value for people, and I get that, and then learn to love it. I don't know if I totally agreed with that. I think there has to be some balance and some intersection. I, I mean, I do agree that you have to find something that is of value to others without question. But I also think that you have to find – you have you have to have a passion for it. I don't think you can grow passionate about it after the fact. Maybe I'm wrong there. No, no. I, you know what? I've struggled with the same thing because he, he says this a lot on his radio show when people call, maybe ask for career advice or something. And I've heard him say this multiple times. And of course, he's written it. Um and and I do struggle with this because I can't believe you know that doing something that you're you're not that you're not all in on you're going to grow passion for it over time. But I think he's maybe making a more utilitarian point. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you know it, it better be something that other people need and value. And of course, that's the market test, right? Like he said, I you know I love fishing and boating. But I've never figured out a way to make money at it. Well, you probably could. I'm sure there are people that make money from fishing. Um, but I think he's saying that we have to serve others. It has to be something that's needed. Well, that's just it. It's, it does have to be in, in service to others. And, you know, the, this, I, I, what is it, the hedgehog principle, right, from Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, right. where they talk about the intersection of three things, right? What, what are you passionate about? What drives your economic engine? So there's the, and, and then of course, what could you be best in the world? That's because you have to, you have to have a propensity for it too. I could say that I I want to I really love golf, but I'm 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 not I'm not great at it, and I never will. So it's not going to drive my economic engine, right? So there has to be the intersection of those three things together, 
but I but I do I do think that that I would would really be curious as to to drill down with him further on this whole idea of of pa- growing passionate after the fact. Right. And, and, you know, his latest book is The Business Secrets from the Bible, Spiritual Success Strategies for Financial Abundance. He lays out 40 laws from the Bible. And, and I also do believe that this is another bestseller. I mean, it's, it's really highly ranked on Amazon. It's been selling quite well. He talks in there about creativity, and he says the Bible uh, lays out three laws for creativity. It requires at least two people. Two people need to be different from one another. And creating anything is one of the most exciting and pleasurable things that people can do. And I thought that was pretty profound too. So, so folks, we kind of recommend, or I all recommend all of his books. All of his books are great. And we'll, we'll link to all of these. Uh, on the show notes and uh, give you summaries and also we'll link to where you can find Daniel Rab- Rabbi Lappin, his new internet uh, radio show on W4CY.com, uh, which uh, if you have a chance to listen on 10 a.m. Eastern Time this Sunday, I, I would highly recommend it. He's, he's a fantastic uh, radio host and he just does a very thought-provoking uh, program. So, Ed, this was a great show. I was really honored to have him on. Absolutely. So what do we got coming up next week, Ron? Uh, we're going to be doing uh, price discrimination. What, what the founder, the economist who founded it, uh, basically said was the equivalent of playing with fire. So, Ed, get out the matches. We're going to play with fire. Excellent. About price discrimination. It, it should be a, a very dynamic show. See you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern or 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at uh, verisage.com slash TSOE for more information on each show, including additional resources. And we will certainly uh, link to uh, everything that we talked about with Rabbi Lappin. And also, you can contact Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. Thank you so much for listening, folks. See you next week.